0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Sean. On today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Shannon T.L. Kearns on the podcast. Uh, We specifically talk about his book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture. And as someone who grew up in a very religious household and also uh, double majored in theology and theater while at college, this book resonated a lot for me. And I get into that in my conversation with Shannon. So I'm excited for everyone to listen to it, but a little bit about Shannon before we get started. A former fundamentalist who became the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood, Shannon T L. Kearns believes in the transformative power of story. As an ordained priest, a playwright, a theologian, and a writer, all of his work revolves around making meaning through story. He is the co-founder of QueerTheology.com, his first book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, just released from Erdman's Books. He started and led Uprising Theater Company for six years. Shannon is a Humanitas New Voices Fellow for 2022 and was a recipient of the Playwright Center Jerome Fellowship in 20. 2021, and he was a Lambda Literary Fellow for 2019 in playwriting and 2022 in screenwriting and a Finnovation Fellow for 2019-2020. Is a sought-after speaker on transgender issues and religion as well as a skilled facilitator of a variety of workshops. His work with Brian G. Murphy at QueerTheology.com has reached more than a million people all over the world through videos, articles, and online courses and community. Uh, This guy knows what's up. And I'm telling you, having the background that I do, we, he and I were able to connect so much on the podcast, off the podcast. I'm excited for you to dig in uh, and not only listen to the conversation, but definitely go pick up his book in the margins. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Um, before we get into all that, though, I need to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys nostalgia is something everyone loves and empire toys in keller texas is on nostalgia overload with toys and action figure figures from the 70s 80s 90s and today empire toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale check out empire toys on facebook instagram or at the and today's episode is also brought to you by self-unbound your quality of life physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as we help unbind your limited healing potential through network spinal care. Access the first steps to your Unbound journey by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or at www.selfunbound.com. Now, without further ado, My conversation with Shannon T.L. Kearns is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is author extraordinaire Shannon. T.L. Kearns. But author is not your only title, uh, if I recall correctly. Yes. Yes. uh, You've got a few more. Uh, Shannon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, and I apologize because I had notes and then they disappeared, as I said, before (laughs) we recorded. So I have some paper notes is what I would say that I'm going to be referencing. But the notes that I captured were on uh, my work computer uh, that is in a different location. So can you please uh, let the good people know uh, all of the wonderful uh, titles that you currently hold? Sure. So I um,
1: usually tell folks that I was raised a fundamentalist evangelical who became the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Um, so I hold the title of father. I'm also a playwright and a theologian and one of the co-founders of
0: queertheology.com. That is correct. Uh, I- like, like I know, like I am saying, yes, those are those are the notes that I had. Oh boy, this is a wonderful, wonderful episode already. But truly, though, I am excited, and I'm a little, I, I'm a little flustered. I'll be honest with the audience, and it is because we're in the midst, I would say, of an interesting time outside of the world, and uh, there's a through point here in that I think, in a lot of ways, a lot of organizations have either been fully remote working up until recently. Or have been all the way back in, in some degree, in some kind of office or maybe a mixture of the two. And I'm in this phase where there was sort of fully remote working. And now I've been traveling way more than I was pre-pandemic. I've been moving to a lot of different offices. And I find, I mean, I, you can't see but I have one, two, three Four, five different bags over here, and each one <laughs> is from a different trip, or a different conference, or a different visit to the office. And so, I, I'm just saying that I'm, I'm doing okay. We are here. We're gonna record a great episode. And also, and also, sometimes our notes are in a different location because we forgot which we, computer we were on in the <laughs> interim. <laughs> There it is. That's the reality. It happens. But but I would say for those who are new to the podcast and going, what is happening? So here at the detox podcast, I invite listeners to quote unquote detox from the world around them, get a window into how other people live their lives. And I, I often ask the guests right at the beginning, what are you detoxing from? And then I provide some additional context of what I'm detoxing from. Apparently, I did that in reverse. And I provided that yeah. what I'm trying to detox from is the, the feeling of of sort of a, a wanderingness, I would say, almost a... a, a, mm. a unanchored space uh, where I need to pick up my stuff and move to a different location for one moment or the other. And it's left me feeling a bit frazzled, I would say, on, a, on an ongoing basis. And so what I'm trying to do as we are actually recording this in November at this time a peek behind the curtain, I'm trying to detox from the need to feel in control of those moments and just kind of let it go and just understand that, yep, I will be frazzled, yep. I might have my headphones in a knot in one moment and also it will be fine. So now, Shannon, I will ask you, what are you currently detoxing from? Well, I think that this is is like a lifelong and
1: ongoing process, but as someone who grew up uh, an evangelical and, you know, socialized female, I'm really still detoxing from my urge to people please Mm. and to like make everything okay and to put everyone else's needs above myself. And okay. I always think of that especially around the holiday season when it becomes like really, really difficult to set boundaries, to say no, to like be like, no, I'm I'm not gonna do 17 holiday parties in two days. like that's not happening. Um, so I feel like that is an ongoing process for me, but I'm I'm aware of it, uh, especially right now in this
0: current season. Yes. Uh, I resonate with that so, so often. Um, and I think for me, uh, I I also feel the need, I, I would say over the last, um, well, honestly, the last two years, I think the pandemic forced me uh, in this sort of isolation from a lot of people that I couldn't, I physically couldn't people please, right? And so yeah. it was actually a very healthy m- moment for me to recognize what, what I was sort of conditioned to do. And for me, it was my relationship growing up in the church and the need to put others before yourself. And 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 I think, and we, we can get into a lot of the nuances, I would say, in some of those lessons in a little bit um, as we as we talk about your book, In the Margins, which is a fantastic book, and I will mention it many a time in this podcast and put <laughs> links to it as well, is that while there are fundamentally good lessons that we can take from the scriptures and we can take from uh, these figures within the Bible, I found when I reflected back, some of the goodness was not necessarily stripped away, but I would say over indexed on to a point where it became a bit too much. It was a bit um, like, let's just take the idea of people pleasing. Yes, we should care about our fellow ne- neighbors and we need to have this sense of community and we need to look out for each other, but we don't need to look out t- for each other so much to the detriment of our own health to where we're not taking care of ourselves and we're burning out and then we are no good to those around us because we have burnt our candle completely out. And yeah. That wasn't a lesson that was taught to me. It was a lesson of uh, just keep going, just keep going, and and it whether it was explicitly given that way or I took it that way and just over indexed on it, it might have been a combination. That's something that I think um, has been hard. So the pandemic has been has been helpful in in those respects. I would say for me to reclaim yeah. a little bit of of my boundaries. Yeah. I want to talk about. Uh, so you're on the show today we're going to talk about your book in the margins a transgender man's journey with scripture but before we even get into that you mentioned a little bit at the at the top as far as your background in religion um, but I would say what what drew you to the the evangelical faith originally uh, when you were growing up
1: I mean, there really isn't an answer to that, because I was basically born into it. Right. right. So there was no actual choice um, involved. I I would say that, like, as I was growing up, um, and kind of coming into my own sense of faith, I did, I did appreciate um, the idea of kind of a heart centered religious experience, right? Something that was that was rooted in emotion that um, asked you to feel things, like I, I appreciated that. Uh, it took some time to unpack why and how I appreciated that, but that was part of it. Um, I did also really appreciate that the evangelical church that I grew up in, in particular, really emphasized young people and youth and put a, a really high emphasis on training young people to be leaders and listening to their opinions and what they wanted and um and and put a high emphasis on like we need to be a, a community that is paying attention to young people and meeting their needs um and and i really appreciated that at the time and then especially as i got older and experienced more mainline traditions like that emphasis on meeting the needs of youth i think is is something that is missed in a lot of mainline traditions and so i appreciate yeah. that from the evangelical church
0: you know i think that's a really good point i would i would say growing up even in um the church that I grew up in, there was a, a huge emphasis on our our youth education program and really the yeah. the, the involvement is really what I would say in, in positions of leadership and the, the push to I would say the push to say if you are um what I would say what's the phrase I'm looking for? It's it's essentially not saying you don't need to wait your turn, I guess, for lack of a better right. phrase, right? I'm using air quotes there. But it's yeah. more of a, if you're ready to serve and ready to lead, you're ready, right? It was it was sort yeah. of that mentality. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's what allowed me the feeling uh, to sort of enter into other asset other facets of my life, feeling ready to lead and ready to go because yeah. of that sort of foundational training. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and I mean, and we can talk about the flip side of of the negative
1: piece of that, right? right? right. I mean, that is very much anchored in the evangelical church, because there is this st- statistic that says, like, it, something like 50 to 75% of people that proclaim Christian faith had some kind of conversion experience before the age of 18 right right so the evangelical church is they're savvy and they're yeah. like we gotta get these people in the door <laughs> right and so like i i understand the indoctrination and the negative pieces of that um but i also know that you know when i went to seminary um in my 20s I had had so much church leadership experience because of the way that I grew up. Like I knew, but when I was in seminary that I was called to ministry and and I knew that I like actually had some skills for it because I had had so much training. Whereas there were people that I was in seminary with who had like never been in any kind of leadership and realized in seminary, like, oh, I don't. I don't like this. I'm not good at this. (laughs) Like maybe this was the wrong calling and now they're in this, you know, graduate degree program. So I think that there's like a real nuance there that, that we can kind of tease out and talk about, but but that it's important to like name all facets of it, right. That there is a creepy indoctrination piece and also it might be helpful. I don't know. It's, it's complicated.
0: It's complicated, but I want to, I want to, sort of clicked down a bit, I would say, in the nuances of that because it is it is really fascinating in, in the sense that the more opportunities one has to stretch and flex some of those leadership muscles, the better off you're going to be later um, when you come into more complex leadership positions because you can, I mean, we've seen it where you can reflect back on, wait a minute, I've been in this position. Maybe it wasn't exactly the same table stakes, but I know how I reacted. I know what went well and what I wanted to work on. Now I can practice, I can just apply that knowledge here. And also it is true that the more exposure one has to uh, say in this case, evangelical faith, at such an impressionable age i mean we can even get into i know you've got a section in your book where you talk about visiting a youth camp right and then the 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 going and oh i'm i'm remembering i'm like flooded with memories of youth camp of the yeah. singing the singing the praising everybody comes down we're we're crying it's a very emotional experience and you connect with that and then you start feeling this this indoctrinated like pull towards towards the faith. And both things are true and where one can be good and one can also be a little bit more, uh, less good, right. In, in certain aspects, it's very complicated. And I think in a lot of ways, folks like you and me are trying to unpack this years later and still trying to figure out like, okay, what, what pieces can I take that were helpful and what pieces should I like reconcile with? Right. I mean, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about specifically in the margins and maybe this is the best place to start is just sort of a general why this book and why now is what I would say. Yeah. So this book is um, first it's a, it's, it's kind of a
1: hybrid book, right? It's a memoir. It's half memoir and it's half uh, retelling slash grappling with stories from scripture. And it's putting a trans lens um, on those stories. And uh, it really came out of this emphasis that, um, you know, historically there has been books that are very much about like, why is it okay to be trans and Christian? And they're what I would call like the trans 101 genre, right, lot of definitions, a lot of like here are the bible passages that are about um or that could be about trans identity and um and why it's okay to be trans. Right. And so those books are fantastic, they're really helpful and also like we don't necessarily need more of them because right. the folks that have written them have done a fantastic job. Right. On the flip side, there are books that are like more academic in nature, trans studies, gender studies that are beautiful and complicated and really inaccessible for folks that are not in academia. Mm. And so I wanted to write a book that was really accessible, that was accessible both for folks that like were not academics, um, but was also accessible for folks that weren't trans, but that took as a starting point, like, yes, of course, absolutely, it's okay to be trans. Yes, of course, absolutely, it's okay to be trans and Christian. And not only that, but like when we take that as the starting point, we can then look at trans people actually have something really essential to offer to the conversation, not just of like conversations of faith and Christianity, but like conversations about gender and bodies and sexuality, and that we need to be centering and listening to those voices. Um, And that when we do that, something actually opens up for all of us not just trans folks and that that's a really important and powerful thing
0: yeah i have to say my favorite parts within the book were the retelling of these stories that i know i've read a million times and have studied in school and university and have just gone over and over and over again and you pulled out i would say something so fundamentally honest and that I had missed like literally every time I read it that it's like I had to keep putting it down to walk away to marinate on it because it was resonating so strongly. There was the point, uh, let me see if I can find the exact passage. It was in the chapter with Jacob the wrestler and we talk about um, oh I know I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it here because I'm not finding exactly where it was, but you talk about, I wonder what the effects on Jacob were the generational trauma effects on Jacob were from Isaac about to be sacrificed by his dad. Yeah. I gave, I just got goosebumps literally again. Because I read that and I'm like, holy shit, like, yes, like, literally, why do we not talk about that? And I think, in that was it, sorry,
1: that was a huge moment for me in writing the book because that was not something, you know, I had done a lot of work around Jacob, I had thought about that story a lot, um, and I had been hearing and learning a lot about the. Abraham and Isaac um, stories, particularly from from Jewish folks, Jewish theologians and scholars. And I was like, Oh, that, you know, those are really interesting um, insights. And then there was something where I was writing that chapter. And I was like, Oh, wait a second, like, these are all relatives. This is a this is a generational, like, dad and son clusterfuck uh, (laughs) situation. Like, Yeah. yeah, no wonder right like right. there are there are layers here and levels and we often and i think that this is the real harm of how we often talk about and teach the bible of yeah. we pull out memory verses quote unquote mm-hmm. or you know a couple of passages or even a story and it's like no like this is an epic saga of yeah. generations and you can't pull out a section and not pay attention to what came before it and after yes. it. Yes. And it's and the folks that are telling these stories, right, originally oral stories that then become written down are not telling them in they are not putting chapter headings no. and verses in them. Right. Like so you you cannot pull out a section or even a chapter and trust that that is a a full story that's not how it was intended to be heard originally it's not how it was intended to be read like this is we need to be reading these stories in their context both in the context of like the whole story but also then in the context of the historical and political space in which the story is being told which is often adds another layer
0: yes uh, a thousand percent. I can't. Like I g- cannot go higher. I mean, I have to say. So I um um I'm go- <laughs> I'm gonna throw uh, a little bit of shade here is what I would say. Um, um so I, I, uh, I don't feel any qualms about doing this. I will I will name check something. So I went. I got my undergrad degree at Howard Payne University. Um I guess shout out Howard Payne University. Uh um <laughs> I would say the professors that I had were really good. And I made some of the best friends ever in both the theater department and in the Christian studies department. And so those were some really good moments in my life. Um, Not all of my professors were, I would say, um, my favorite, right? I think that's fair to say. I had one professor I'll never forget. He said day one in my class, and he taught like sort of the senior capstone classes. And he said, "Um, I have tenure. I'm going to tell you like it is. And I don't care what you say. They're not going to get rid of me. (laughs) And he was the one that kept hammering the point. You cannot take these passages out. You must study them in context. Here's the context of this book. Here's the context of the multiple books. And you need to understand everything in totality. And I did biblical interpretation with him where we did take out, like he gave us two scriptures. He said, you're going to write a 40 or 50 page paper on this. And you're going to write the context of what's going on in totality so we understand the full scope of the picture I wrote on the book of Judith. He knew I had no knowledge of the Apocrypha, and he assigned me the Apocrypha. That's Ooh, I was so angry. But you know what? It was good. It was so good. It, was, it stretched me. Yeah. Who cares? Like Joe, People are like, Joe, I don't care. I want to hear about Shannon. I would say <laughs> to your point. Unless you have somebody that will continue to sort of beat the drum of you need to read these books in context and to understand the generational story that you're reading, you're going to miss the point. And the point here, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac then had Jacob and Esau, and there's trauma there and then Jacob had Joseph and all of his sons and there's trauma there and the trauma continues to manifest because we're not seeing people deal with it in a healthy and constructive way other than to sort of move forward and and it feels like to me as a reader not necessarily getting at the root cause of what's lingering sort of in the margins and in the in the circles you know yeah I just, I, I, oh, that was good. And, and then you, you tie the story of Jacob. We're talking about the family here. In the story of Joseph, which being named Joseph as my birth name, I heard that story more times than I could count. Um and a funny <laughs> aside is that around Christmas time every year people would say, But are you name which Joseph are you named for? I'm like, Alright, eleven months <laughs> out of the year, nobody asked me that question. Just in yeah. December, <laughs> when old old Joseph makes the rounds uh to Bethlehem. Um But I Joseph, to me, was always taught as sort of a straightforward, this was the dad's favorite, people were jealous, ripped his coat, threw him in, sold in slavery, this, that, and the other. But nobody brought out the fact of, like, perhaps Jacob witnessed a lot of his own tendencies in his son. And for longtime listeners of the podcast, when I shared my coming out story last year um, and then earlier this year on a different podcast... I talked about how when my son was born, is when I started coming to grips with a lot of uh, a lot of um, things that I had sort of stowed away, and it made me start reflecting on what perhaps I hadn't dealt with or perhaps I saw and needed to understand better. And so that chapter wrecked me for a bit, uh, in a good way, because it brought me back to a place that I um, ha- was still fairly fresh. Um, And I want to know, when you're writing these books, or, or I'm sorry, these chapters, and you're revisiting some of these stories, and you're pairing it with your own story in a narrative way, how do you find, how did you find, I would say, the right biblical stories to pair with your own journey and progression through the story?
1: Yeah, you know it was a real mix. Um, in some cases, it was I know that this is a story that I want to talk about from the Bible, right? Like I know that I want to talk about Jacob. I know I want to talk about Joseph. Um, and so then it was like, okay, well then what portion of my life does that match? Right. And then there were other there were other stories where it was like, I know I know I need to talk about this portion of my life is there a resonance with a scripture story? Um, and, you know, the funny thing about book proposals, right? Is that you send in an a annotated chapter list, right? Which yeah. is like, so for me, it was like, these are the Bible stories I'm gonna cover. And so then I'm like, well, I said I was gonna write about Rahab. So <laughs> now I gotta figure <laughs> out, um, but actually that was the real fun of, of the writing process. Um, and the place where I like discovered the most new things for myself, um, which is like I don't, I had never really grappled with the story of Rahab before. And right. so figuring out what does this story have to teach me, what in my own life um intersects, illuminates, challenges this story. Um, and so that was a chapter that I really grappled with and that um I think challenged myself in figuring out, like, how how have I been seen as a sexual outsider? What is that? What has that done for me? What have I learned from that? And what might then, the, the turn for me in every chapter was like, not just how does this relate to my life, but then how might this also open up a space for other people to encounter their own stories of gender sexuality bodies religion right like it was really important to me that this that no chapter just be oh that was a great story about shannon's life right but it it, that every chapter turned into oh oh i see myself in that story yes Yes. um and that was it was really important to me that that every Every story, both of my own and scripture, then also invited the reader in to add their story as well.
0: Yeah. I'm interested in what you discovered or maybe what you learned about yourself as you were sort of revisiting a lot of these moments in your life for the purposes of the book.
1: It's a great question you know i think um i think there's a couple things one is that i hadn't quite realized how traumatic some of the experiences i had had as a young person were yeah. right because it was always just what happened right yeah. it was like i went on that nutty mission trip and i had these experiences with these adults and i went to an evangelical Christian college and this was this, this was what happened. Right. Um, and really laying it all out and and unpacking those stories and retelling them, I was like, oh, there were some not great things that happened and there was some ways in which I was treated that were not healthy and that were not right. right. Um, and so, so that was, it, it was healing for me to say like, oh, that wasn't okay. Like, those things that happened weren't okay. But I was also struck by, particularly, I I talk a lot about this summer mission trip that I went on, Operation Barnabas, um, because it really shaped, it shaped my life as a young person. It has continued to shape my life. And reflecting back on that time, I was 17 going on this trip. And at the time, as a 17-year-old, looking at all of these adults that were in charge of the trip, I'm like, oh, they're so old. Like, they... Have all of this life experience. Right. And it was in the course of writing the book that I like did some math and I was like, Oh, oh, some of these leaders were like twenty. <laughs> and the ones that were like most in charge were at best twenty-six. <laughs> and it and it was this moment for me of like, oh, I was I did not have it together when I was twenty six. I should not have been put in charge of 30 16 year olds right. when I was 26. Um, and it, it allowed me to both have a lot of compassion for these leaders who, and this is not excusing any of their abusive behavior, right. but to say that like they were also put in an impossible situation sure. and they had been also indoctrinated in this same tradition and like yeah. they were doing the best best they could. And so yeah. I can have a lot of compassion for them. Now that I have a lot of distance and safety, and I think that that piece, um, someone asked me recently in a panel discussion, like, how do you have so much compassion for people? I'm like, it's because I don't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah, and so that yeah, <laughs> that yeah, distance yeah, yeah. of like, I've gotten out. So like, I can look at them and say they were doing the best they could. They really messed it up. I have a lot of compassion. And also, I am never going to put myself in a situation where they have any authority over my life again and I think that that's the real key piece especially for people that are still in the process of deconstructing in the process of leaving a harmful church tradition is that like you don't you can't have compassion when you're still in it often like often you need to get out and get some distance and then you can forgive but then part of that forgiveness is and you are not allowed to call me anymore and I'm blocking your phone number. And like, that is an okay and healthy thing to do. That doesn't mean that you're bitter or not forgiving people. Like you can set boundaries and the boundary can be no contact and that, that, and that that's okay.
0: I personally need to hear that. So thank you uh, for sharing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm like thinking of, uh, whether or not to share, um, I think I'm going to put a pen in that for the moment. But what I would say is that's that's the key, right? Is the distance and the space yeah. and the grace for yourself, and then the ability to to process and and then also set the boundaries. I think that's yeah. I think in the in the mode of people pleasing and needing needing everything to be okay it it's harmful i'm speaking from for myself in this space it it's har- it can be harmful um because then i and so many others run the risk of never getting out and never setting the boundaries yeah yep. and and the particular people right that we're thinking of aren't aren't going to proactively right separate and set the boundaries for us we've got to do that for ourselves um and that's yeah. that's hard Now, I want to ask you, I'm not quite sure how to say this other than pretty clunky, so I'm going to say it like this. Um, why Why are you still connected with the church, is what I would say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic question, and it's a fair question. Um, and I get it a lot. I get it a lot from queer folks who are like, why in the hell would you stay in a In a system, in an institution that has oppressed people. Um, And I think it is a totally fair question. Um, I stay, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, I stay because I'm stubborn and because there is a sense in me that's like, I don't, you don't get to tell me that I can't, that this can't be mine, Mm -hmm. that I can't hang on to this tradition. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But the the real root for me is I find in the Jesus story in particular both a sense of comfort um, and by that I mean like this is a guy born to an unwed teenage mother in an occupied land who grows up to form a ragtag assembly of like the dumbest and most outsider and <laughs> corrupt and whatever, and like goes on a challenge, like challenges the empire. Like there's something really incredible in that. Yeah, And I also find in the Jesus story, like this consistent centering of those on the most, mar- on, of those on the margins who are most marginalized and a sense of saying like, not only Is there like room for them, right? Like often in our churches, it's like, oh, it's there's room for the marginalized. All are welcome. But Jesus is saying like, no, actually like, it's the people on the margins that are at the center. Mm -hmm. And, And I find that both to be comforting as someone who is marginalized as a transgender person and also challenging for me to continually be looking at like, I'm a white person in the United States of, you know, I I have enough privilege and comfort. I move through the world and people see me as I am. Like, there's a lot of privilege in that. And so this Jesus story also forces me to say, and as much as I'm marginalized, there are other people who I need to be standing in solidarity with. And my Christian faith then continually calls me back to say, "Who do I need to be centering? Mm. Whose voices do I need to be listening to? Where are the places that I need to be using my privilege to fight for justice?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and and so for me, this like anchoring story is is really it's helpful. It's inspiring, it's motivating. And also, I I think it's really important to say that, like, I don't believe that it is the only story that is motivating, inspiring, and that calls people to focus on the margins. It's like, for me, I I am so steeped in this story that, like, I can't, I open my mouth and Bible stories fall out, right? (laughs) Like, this is this is who i am like i can't help it i get that so hard if i tried to find another faith i'd still be talking about jesus and it would be a problem for everyone right so for me like the the impulse then is like how do i go as deeply as i can into the heart and the root of this tradition and find a way to redeem it right and also i know that for a lot of other people either the harm has been too great. And like, there is no redemption for them. The trauma is too much. Sure. Or that they find some other religious tradition or no religious tradition and community an animating force. And and so like, I want to be clear that as I talk about how much this story means to me, that I am, I am not someone who says that this is the only story in which these truths are found sure.
0: or that this is the only story that people need to find themselves sure. in. And I think that's, there was so much goodness in what you shared. Um, one, thank you for sharing that. I think it's very healthy and helpful for people to hear um, the reasons why in whether it's a, a a practice, a religion, or a physical space, why someone chooses to stay and what those reasons are. Um, though not the same, but similarly, I often get asked, why am I still in Texas, despite them this, yeah. this year alone, passing the most anti LGBTQ plus laws or attempting to pass legislation uh, in the state's history, and I don't know if it's a state and the country or just a state, I know it's a state at least, um, and I always say, if you're not safe. Don't stay, right? Don't stay in an unsafe position. Um, I'm fortunate in the fact that I have privilege being a white man and a white cisgender man in Texas, um, where my voice, for better or worse, carries a bit more weight with people. And because of my religious upbringing and background, I understand where a lot of folks are coming from, from from a what matters most to them perspective. And I can speak to them in terms and ways in which they understand to draw correlations about how we need to make this physical space safe for more people. And it's through one on one conversations that I'm able to have and not everybody's able to have that. And so I say if I leave because I don't like what's happening or who gets reelected or this, that and the other, then there's nobody to have It's. I'm not saying I'm the only person, right? But there's one less person that can have those conversations in those rooms in that way. Um, and I don't want to do that. I want to be able to have those conversations. So I think what I love about you continuing to be part of the faith is that you write a book that is so impactful and powerful and can resonate with so many people. Um, who either have a religious background and upbringing, who are currently practicing, who are a member of the community, or are practicing active allyship, right? There's a lot of um, variety, or folks that are just curious and don't quite understand, and want some education themselves, and they're interested. There's There's a variety of ways. And so I love that you shared that. And also, this is probably my favorite thing to quote, I grew up reading the Chronicles of Narnia, And I got into a conversation with somebody who said, The Chronicles of Narnia are absolutely an allegory. Straight through. It's easy to see. And I'm like, cool. In the last battle, a bunch of people... Die for lack of a better word, and they all show up in the same space. And one of yeah. the characters quotes and says, Now, wait a minute, Aslan, you're here, but I wasn't practicing you, I wasn't following you, I was following some other person or some other deity. And he said, Though you did not use the same language or the same practices, you were still doing good. And I forget the exact word I'm paraphrasing, but like in my name or in the name of the greater good, so you're here as a virtue of that. Yeah. And then the person tried to clap back and was like, okay, well that's not an allegory. I'm like, nah, it kind of feels <laughs> like it's gotta be either either or in that sense. But but yes, I love that. And I think there's a lot of goodness that we have there.
1: I took a class on C.S. Lewis in oh. my evangelical Christian college oh. and um and I got into a fight with the entire class over the last battle. Oh.
0: Because I'm leaning in.
1: I read that chapter and I was like He's arguing for universal stuff. Everyone gets in.
0: I don't care if this doesn't come out well on the mic. I'm clapping. Yes. Yes.
1: And the class was like, no, absolutely not. And the professor was like, actually, (laughs) he's got a point. Like, that's kind of what he's arguing. And it was, that was, I wasn't ready at that moment in my journey. I was starting to ask a lot of questions. Um, I wasn't ready to be like all the way with Lewis, But but there was a moment for me where I was like, Huh. I I wonder if there's a different way to think about salvation, to think about what the point of all of this is. Right. Um, but yeah, I still remember. Oh man, I got shouted at in that class <laughs> over that one. And I was like, I don't I am just read I, I am just read. I'm literally reading what the chapter says. Like I am not <laughs> I'm not actually extrapolating. I I'm, right. I'm just literally reading it.
0: Right. Oh my good yeah. I people were not ready for that. It's interesting to me how the last battle finds folks. Um I found me uh when I was also asking starting to ask a lot of questions, reading a few different yeah. books, and going, also, huh, I wonder what perhaps this could mean. And what it could mean in sort of a larger a larger scheme of things as we're starting to sort of unpack what this means. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, so good. I want to know, I would say, wow, the time has flown by. I could literally keep talking about this over yeah. and over and over. <laughs> um, I like to, I, I joke around with my friends um, that I say I have to dust off my theology degree once a month or they'll take it away <laughs> from me. I have to use it, use it or lose it, right? Um. But truthfully... Yep, yep. I do love talking about this because while I do still have a lot of deep hurt uh, with the Christian church in my specific experience, um, and and I am fully aware that my experience is unique unto me and is not indicative of other people's experience, while I do still have a lot of hurt, I do also appreciate how comfortable and familiar a lot of this language and stories are for me. And what I do appreciate so much is when someone can take a story that is so familiar to me and teach me something new that I am at 35 years of age ready to hear fresh and completely change my perspective or enhance it, right? And that's what I feel like that is the gift you've given me personally. And I know that you've given so many other people that. So I just want to say thank you for writing this book because I've already recommended it to several people and I will continue to do so um, until you write another one. And then I can just also promote that one as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, I want to ask you one last question before we start to wrap. And that is, it's an advice question and there's a lot here. And so I'm going to try and simplify it and say, if somebody is listening to this and you know what, let me ask it in two parts. I think this might be easier. If somebody is listening and maybe they're they're struggling with their own religion and sense of self, what piece of advice would you give them? And then on the flip side, if someone is starting starting or newly into their transgender journey, what maybe are some words of advice that you would provide to that individual as well?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think there is one answer that I would give to both okay. communities, which is like find someone who is further along in the journey than you um, and reach out, right? Whether that's like, I, I need to understand better how to read the Bible or how to understand theology or how to access medical care or how to come out to my family right like talking to people that are further along in the journey is huge and it's both like it's both huge because it's advice giving and you can lean on other people's experience but it's also huge because I know for me in, in both like processing my faith and also in coming out as trans when I was doing both of those things there weren't a lot of models. And so like now being able to look at someone and be like, oh, I could be like that. There is a possibility I can look down the road and see what a future could look like, I think is really huge. And I think that that's so much more accessible to people now than it was, for instance, 10, 15 years ago. Um, For folks grappling, particularly with Christianity, I find that often in the beginning stages, the first impulse is um, I have to like grapple with all of these verses, mm-hmm. particular verses that like I have trouble with, whether that be about LGBTQ issues or salvation or whatever. That's often not the most helpful thing. And right. we'll, um, Brian, my, my co founder of Queer Theology, Brian, often talks about like the hamster wheel of theology, where you like, you read an article that says one thing and then you read an article that contradicts that and then you read another article and then you're like stuck on the hamster wheel. And so it's like important to get off of the damn hamster wheel. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So I have found often that it's helpful to read books about the Bible, um, particularly from scholars, but like there are great accessible scholars, like read Rob Bell's What is the Bible or Love Wins, read Marcus Borg and John, John Dominic's Croissants First Christmas and the Last Week. Like those will get you started. Um, Because what they do is they open up another way to understand not just the Bible, but also faith. And I think that especially for those of us who grew up in evangelicalism, we were so taught that there's only one way to believe and that everything else is just wrong. That starting to see other faithful people who say like, actually, there is a multiplicity of ways to believe and understand. And I mean, that's just mind blowing and it takes a lot of the sting out. Um, So I think that's really important. And then I think for trans folks, like the biggest thing I can tell people other than find some mentors is, you don't have to be the educator. You will feel like you do. You will feel like you owe every single person you meet whether it's at a coffee shop or in your job, a trans 101 lecture, you will start to carry a PowerPoint in your pocket. I know this because I did this. Um, and you don't have to. And the best thing that you can do in every situation you are is to just say, here's someone else you can talk to. Yeah. Because you're in the process of like figuring out your own identity. You're in the process of figuring out what being trans means to you what being non-binary means to you like the odds of you being able to do that work internally and also educate someone else in an effective helpful way is it's like it's a really low odds and it's gonna end up doing more harm to you and to the person you're trying to educate so the best thing that you can do is refer them to other people and that that's even if and maybe especially if You are someone who, you are the only trans person in whatever place you're in. I know for me, I started transitioning in seminary. I was only the second person to transition while in seminary. Folks were great. And also they didn't know what they were doing. And one of the best things that happened at some point was a friend of mine was like, you need to go to the administration and tell them to hire an instructor to come to campus and do a trans 101 mm. for the student body and the faculty.
0: Yeah,
1: And I did, and they did, the campus did. They brought in a trans person to do that facilitation. And it was such a gift for me to sit there and not have to be the educator, but right. also to learn from one of my peers right what it was and how to do this work and to see how they handled inappropriate questions and to see how they handled teaching this. Like it was such a gift for me. Um, And so that's the thing that I I like to tell everyone. of like, there are other people that can do this work. You can just focus on you for a little while and that's okay.
0: Yes, 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 yes. This is fantastic. Thank you for sharing all of this. Um, We are going to shift to the final segment of the show. It's a segment I like to call things to check out. It's where I provide a recommendation of either something to read, watch, or listen to uh, for the guests and or for the listeners and the guests. And I asked my guests to do the same. <laughs> so I'll go first. I actually was going to recommend Rob Bell's uh, What is the Bible? And you already recommended that because it's, it's <laughs> wonderful. And I wholeheartedly so agree. So Rob Bell has been on the show before. He was not on the show to talk about what is the Bible. He was on the show for a different reason. However, still... Uh, fantastic person to talk to and fantastic author and then the the book about the bible what is the bible we we're talking about context mattering that is a book to your point that is a book that will allow people to understand more of the contextual nature of the book yes. and i would say i uh, studied hebrew as one of my foreign languages in college and it wasn't until i was trans translating scriptures that my professor who took the time to point out to me how differently structured Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, like how differently structured these books were, I didn't, it didn't click for me until that moment. And so by understanding those contexts, it gave me a better grounding in the book. And so books like that will help. Um, Dear friend of this show, uh, Brian McLaren, dear, dear friend, has written a number of books as well, uh, just like Rob Bell. Um, well, I would say the last uh, reason he was on the show was to promote um, Do I Stay Christian, um, uh, a guide for the doubters, the disappointed, and the disillusioned, And um, he presents points from uh, Yes, You Should stay a Christian and no, you shouldn't. And here's why. And he points out in the very beginning of the book, the goal is not for him to make you one or the other. The goal is that that way, if you are one or the other, you ideally read those chapters more and lean in to understand a different perspective than maybe you're currently feeling at any given moment. That's a recommendation uh, that I would have as well. So those are just some book recommendations. Um, watching, uh, I, I would say um, there's uh, there's a documentary. I'm a huge soccer fan. Just peek behind the curtain. Um, uh, At the time that this releases, I think the World Cup will be about to wrap up or has wrapped up at this point. There's a Netflix documentary about the corruption inherent in FIFA. Um, So if you're having trouble processing the current men's World Cup, um, I would say that's a good place to start to kind of understand a wide ranging uh, scheme and corruption that exists uh, in a lot of facets of society. I do want to point out, because I forgot to do it at the beginning, so while this episode is releasing in December, we are recording this in the midst of Transgender Awareness Week, and I just want to say, Shannon, thank you for being able to be on the show during this very important time where we, uh, as a society, need to make sure that we are doing our work to educate ourselves, uh, be active allies, and make sure to promote great books, like In the Margins, where folks can learn both um, a transgender man's story and also how it relates to scripture. So thank you for that. Um, And then what recommendations do you have for the audience? Um, So a
1: a book that I just read recently that like blew my mind is God is a Black Woman by Dr. Christina Cleveland. So freaking good. Um, She's just a a brilliant genius. Uh, And the book sounds like it's gonna be really really academic and it's not it's it's this beautiful devotional um story fantastic and then i'm obsessed with um two tv shows a league of their own the new amazon prime series y'all if you loved the movie the the tv show both like honors the movie and that tradition and takes it in a new and beautiful way it's so queer it's so powerful it's amazing um and then also there's a tv show on hbo max called somebody somewhere which is um about a a woman who goes back home to her hometown in manhattan kansas and it's again this like beautiful meditation on grief but also on family and faith and queerness. Um, and it's and it's really, really funny and also really touching. It's a 30-minute dramedy, I guess they're calling those these days. Yeah. But it's beautiful. Season two, I think, will come out in 2023. But it's it's really, really great. So those are my two TV faves right I now. I
0: love that. Well, Shana, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? So I am at Shannon T.L. Kearns
1: on all of the social medias. Um, Twitter, for as long as it survives. Nice. Um, uh, TikTok, I am bad at TikTok as in Gen Xer slash elder millennial. <laughs> but I try, I'm on there. Instagram is really like the place where I'm jamming these days. And also I'm still on Facebook. Um, my website is Shannon T.L. I have a newsletter that I send out every Tuesday. And then of course, also at queertheology.com. Um, We have just hundreds of resources and workshops and courses for folks that are both like trying to integrate their sexuality and their gender identity and faith, and also for folks that want to be advocates and allies and be in solidarity with the queer and trans community um, and want better tools and resources on how to do that.
0: I love that. We're going to have those links as well uh, in the description and in the show notes. Um, that reminds me, I followed you on Twitter. I need to follow you on Instagram. I need to sign up for the newsletter and I need to check out Queer Theology. I think it's time for me to dust off the old theology degree and uh, merge those two worlds of mine. So I love it. Shannon, this has been truly a delight. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I'm excited uh, to have been able to record this with you and I uh, look forward to a future conversation where we can continue. Uh, the great work here. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And uh, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detox podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O now.com we we'll